How's everybody doing today? Good. Oops. Well, I'm Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Good to see all of you. So we are continuing in our series on the book of Luke, and we're made big traction this year already. We're starting off with chapter 5 today, and I've got uh, verses 1 through 11, and it's kind of one of my favorite stories. It's about where the, Peter gets that giant catch of fish, and Jesus calls Peter and James and John and to follow him. And sometimes it's easy when you're reading the Bible or read like the Bible. Most of the Bibles have little captions where like the top it says, this is about this. And then it goes to another section and it says, this is about this. And it's easy to think some of the stories in scripture are kind of one-offs where like this was Peter's first interaction with Jesus when it really wasn't. Like Jesus took the time to build a relationship with Peter. He took the time to pursue Peter from, in ways that Peter didn't even know, he couldn't even understand. And God does the same with us. Like he wants a relationship with us. He pursues us in ways that like years later we'll look back on something that happened or have a memory of something or a Bible verse or a song will stick out to us and be like, wow, like that was God talking to me then. I had no idea. So, and it's funny how like certain voices can affect us in different ways. Like I hope, like this week we got to get our taxes done. I hope most of you are blessed in that area of your life. Um, 2021 did not work out so well for us this year. Um, it's the first time in my wife's almost 21 years of marriage that we actually owe federal taxes. And I really trust my tax lady, and I'm like, I don't understand. And something with the stimulus and the pre child tax credit and all that, like, just we end up owing. And it's not like a huge amount. It's not like a break in the bank or anything like that. But it's just something about my, the lady that does my taxes telling me, you owe the government this much. Like, I seriously, I got anxious. I felt sick to my stomach. I got like nauseous. And it's like, and the amount, like, it's like, well, like the transmission went out on my truck. Okay, that's a bummer. But I'll just deal with it and move on or have a water leak and get some, a bill from the plumber or get a bill for, like a medical bill. Like those voices, those things telling me, hey, you owe something, it's like not that big of a deal, but something about my, my owing taxes, like that voice being like, hey, you owe Uncle Sam, so pay up, like just mess with me. And it's kind of the same way when God starts talking to us. Like we hear his like small voice, and then sometimes we hear a loud voice talking to us, and it's like how we respond to that. And sometimes we're like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not your guy, I'm a sinner, I'm not worthy, I don't know if I buy all that, but God continues to pursue us and talk to us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your pursuit of us, Lord. Lord, I would, just looking back on life, sometimes we see things where you did miracles or you intervened or something that you did with somebody else just profoundly affected our lives. And Lord, I pray that today just you help us to just realize and accept the pursuit that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So just real quick, I want to give a name disclaimer. Uh, Peter, like a number of other people in the Bible, goes by multiple names at different times in Scripture. So I just want, I tried and when I was doing my notes to like be able to follow, like say one name every time, and trying to do that I actually confused myself a little bit. So I just want you to know that Peter goes by the name Peter. He goes by the name Simon Peter. He's called individually just Simon. And then Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter. So if I say any of those th th names, it's the same guy. 
So Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, and Cephas is, is what? Peter. Peter. Okay. That way I don't confuse you guys and I don't confuse myself while I'm standing up here. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, talking about Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now verse 1 says that the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, to hear about the kingdom of God, like what Ernie talked about last week. These people wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. They were excited about it. They were just chasing after Jesus to hear anything he had to say. But then there's the other guys. There's Simon, Peter, sorry, James and John. Worked all night, cleaning their nets. They're tired. They want to go to bed. And what does Jesus do? He preaches to the people who are pressing in, and then he turns to the guy that kind of like one foot in, one foot out, the guys that are kind of paying attention but kind of in a hurry to get done with their work day. And Jesus turns his full attention on them. And that kind of shows that God, our pursuit of God, or God's pursuit of us is not contingent on our pursuit of him. He seeks after us. He loves us. He chases after us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And there's been times in my life where I haven't really been kind of just doing my thing and haven't been really pressing in, and then God's like, hey, I want you to go do this. And I'm like, huh, what? No. Like, I was not really that paying that much attention. And God's like, no, this is, this is what I want you to do. That's how God does things. He pursues us constantly. And that pursuit makes it easier for us to love God, don't you think? John 1, 419 4, says, we love because he first loved us. So how does God pursue us? It can seem like sometimes God's pursuing us from a distance. It's not, it might feel like a distance to us, but it's not a distance to God. Or it could feel like he's pursuing us in the lives and what he's doing and people that we know. Or it could be he pursues us up close and personal. He intervenes. He does miracles in our lives to show us that he's pursuing us. You know, for Peter, you know, pursuing him from a distance, like the Israelites all, they did basically the Jewish equivalent of Sunday school. They learned about the Old Testament. They talked a lot about the coming of the Messiah. Like all of them knew a lot. A lot of them prayed for the coming of the Messiah. 
Peter knew all that and saw, probably saw in his interactions with Jesus before this time, probably saw that in Jesus. Jesus' reputation probably, I'm sure, preceded itself, himself, where he, Peter had probably heard of this guy who was healing people, who was casting out demons. You know, for us, I don't know why, but the story of Zacchaeus from the Bible always stuck out to me, even as a little kid. I remember going to Sunday school, and they had, I don't know if you're old enough for, like, the flannel boards stories, and just that story, like, Zacchaeus was kind of an outcast, and he was short and kind of on the outside, and people were following Jesus around, and Jesus was like, hey, Zacchaeus, like, I'm going to your house for dinner tonight. And there was always something about that story, that Jesus singled out the guy who was pretty much by himself and pursued a relationship with him. Maybe there's a song that you heard that when you weren't looking for Christ or not, didn't know him, so just scrolling through the radio or something came up on YouTube or Instagram, and it just like touched you. We're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then later on, you hear that song and just break into tears. My personal one for that is um, Amazing Grace, especially when it's paid, played in, um, on bagpipes. I don't know why. Every time I hear that song on bagpipes, I'm like, ah. So it must have something to do with my, uh, my heritage. And we don't always get it when God's pursuing us from what seems like a distance. It doesn't always click in that moment, but it plants seeds in our hearts that draw us to him. And sometimes God pursues us at the same time he pursues others. Peter's brother, Andrew, and it talks about this in some of the other gospels, that he hung out with John the Baptist and before he hung out with Jesus. Andrew heard what John the Baptist had to say about Jesus and then started following him. And Andrew actually introduced Peter to Jesus. And that area of Galilee or Genesaret where um, Peter lived, like Jesus hung out there quite a bit. He had been there for probably a number of months, if not a year. So Peter probably knew of or knew the people that Jesus healed. And Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. He went into Peter's house and healed a bunch of people, people in Peter's own home. He saw Jesus doing these things and was definitely impacted by what Jesus did in their lives. And then he pursues us up close and personal. He intervenes. He does miracles in our own lives. Like Jesus, before this story, came alongside Peter, started talking, probably built a relationship with him, started talking to him. He probably talked to Peter about, hey, like, I'm not going to stay in this area forever. Like, I'm probably going to go to some other areas and talk about the kingdom of God. Like, what do you think about coming with me? And Peter, probably like us, created some excuses, some disqualifications, like I got responsibilities at home, like I don't know if I can do that. And then what we just read, the miracle of the catch of fish. Like that's probably one of the best fishing stories ever, and it's actually true, right? And that's what finally got Peter to realize who Jesus was and realize what Jesus was really asking him to do. And this giant catch of fish, I think one of the coolest aspects of this, the coolest things about this catch of fish is that Peter was able to, or his partners, whoever was able to sell those fish, and that prov provided financially for Peter's wife so Peter could follow Jesus as a disciple. Jesus understood that Peter could not make sacrifices to follow Jesus that did not also affect his wife. In God's pursuit of us, 
in our obedience to him, he's not going to ask us to do something without taking into account our spouses, our children, the people we have responsibility for. I just thought that, I realized that while I was doing a study, like, that's so cool that Jesus took care of Peter's wife to make sure Peter could come with him. You know, just think about times and maybe where Jesus intervened in your life, or maybe where he did a miracle for you. Like, I battled depression and suicidal ideation as a teenager, and he did a miracle, and that's why I'm still here. You know, he's done things in my finances. Like I said, 21, almost 21 years of marriage, and my wife still likes me. It's a miracle, right? <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> you know, there's some miracles that God's done in our life that haven't happened all right away. Like, we didn't realize the miracle in the moment, but it took time. Like, I've had, like, uh, the last time I preached, I talked about anger. And I've had, ma- I had major issues in the past dealing with my anger. And it took a long time. But the miracle was that I've got it under control now. And I just want to throw this out there that some miracles, even if we don't see a miracle happen like right in that moment and it takes time, it's not any less of a miracle. So back to the scripture we read, back to the boat. So Jesus had gotten into Peter's boat. And it was no mistake that Jesus got into Peter's boat. And it was no mistake that Jesus happened to show up on shore where Peter docked his boat. It was no mistake that there was no catch of fish that night. Jesus is God. He made sure all that happened. It was no mistake that Peter was tired and probably a little frustrated. Because that was the day that Peter was at the place where he could actually see Jesus for who he truly was. And we'll see in a minute, Jesus, Peter was figuring out what and who Jesus was in his head, but he hadn't yet figured things out. Started figure, he hasn't yet started figuring things out in his heart. So if we go to Luke, uh, back to the scripture in verses four and five, it says, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, it's funny that Peter, on his own boat, basic captain of his own boat, called another guy master. And actually, the way that translates out is boss. So Peter's calling Jesus boss of his own boat. So he's figure, he start, Peter's starting to figure this out through his relationship with Jesus. And he's talking about being up all night. Um, my career, we do shift work, and I spent a number of years working night shift, and it was not easy for me. I am most definitely an early-to-bed, early-to-rise guy. And I remember having to fight my, when I worked night shift, or just, I had a default angry face. I had a default angry voice. I had a default, more or less negative outlook on life. And I felt... I felt bad for my pastor at the time. Uh, we had a, a smaller church, we met in a small building, so he, when he was preaching, he could see everybody. And sometimes I'd go after working a night shift and I'd go to church and the whole time, I'm like fighting, not nodding off while he's preaching. Like the worship was good, I was able to stand up and move around a little bit, but sitting there and I'm like, and I know he saw me. He never said anything to me, but I know, I know he saw me. And I imagine 
Peter and the other guys probably felt the same way. Now, another thing is that Jesus' trade was a carpenter. He's not, he's not a fisherman. So Peter easily could have been like, dude, like, I'm tired. Last night did not go how I wanted it to. And you just need to stay in your lane. Like, there's not a chance I'm throwing my nets out. I want to go to bed. You know, it makes me think I, most of you know, I work in the emergency room down in White River. And you just think of, like, if a carpenter, like, showed up in the ER, he's got his tool bag on, he's carrying some tools, and he sees a patient and walks up to me and sets him down. He's like, hey, Brian, I think that patient in bed three is having a heart attack. So uh, why don't you give me an EKG, start a couple IVs, we're going to draw some baseline labs, um, you know, We'll give him, they got, he got some uh, nitroglycerin on the ambulance on the way here. Why don't you give me two more? Let me know how his pain's doing. Make sure he got his aspirin. And I'm going to call for a transfer to get him into a cath lab. And oh yeah, and go ahead and get him started on like a heparin drip and get me another EKG in an hour. Now if a carpenter, if somebody told me that, I would have just looked at him for a while. I'm like, well, you're not wrong, but there is not a chance I'm doing that for you. <laughs> and Peter... Most definitely, he could have said the same thing. But it was the voice of the guy saying it to him that made a difference in Peter being obedient. And Peter said, at your word, I'll do this. So what does it take to believe somebody at their word? What does it take to trust somebody at their word? It's hard sometimes. You know, some of us are very trusting right away, maybe too trusting, some of us have been burned bad and don't trust anybody or have a very small circle of people they trust, that you trust. Some people, like me, I may trust but verify. I'll give you some trust, prove that you're trustworthy, I'll give you some more. If you prove that you're not trustworthy, I'm going to start backing off. But Peter said, at your word, Jesus. And that's part of God's pursuit of us, is building our trust. Like if God didn't work on building our trust, or if a person who's pursuing us doesn't build our trust, then they're, they're pursuing us, it's a waste of time. Like why would, they would, why would they even bother? And psychologically or relationally speaking, trust is built on these things. Consistency, compassion, competency, and communication. I'll say it again, consistency, compassion, competency, and communication. Jesus led like that. That's how he interacted with people. That's how he talked with people. That's how he sought people. You know, Jesus, consistency, Jesus has been in, like I said before, Jesus had been in that area for a long time. And Peter saw consistency and love in what Jesus said and what he did. He probably never heard, or he never heard about Jesus trying to heal someone and failing. And Jesus had consistently started inviting Peter into his life and what he was doing. And there's compassion. Peter saw firsthand the compassion that Jesus had in his words and actions. He saw Jesus' compassion in the healing of his mother-in-law and the other people that he healed in Peter's house. So this situation... Peter's tired, wants to go to bed. He just cleaned his nets. Doesn't seem like Jesus has a whole lot of compassion for Peter's immediate situation. 
But sometimes God does things that don't seem compassionate or don't, we don't understand in order to get our attention in a way we otherwise wouldn't give our attention. Maybe so he can teach us something, so he can prepare us something, so he can walk us through something. And then there's competency. And competency is having the ability to do something, having the ability and the knowledge and the experience to do what you say you're going to do or to be who you say you are. And a few weeks ago, Ernie talked about, I think it was Ernie, it might have been Justin, talked about how Jesus read out of the book of Isaiah about the Messiah, and this is who the Messiah is, and this is what the Messiah is going to do. And up to that point, he had done all those things. And lastly, there's communication. Peter saw how Jesus communicated with other people, and he saw how Peter communicated with Jesus. And like I said, Peter, Jesus had probably talked to Peter about joining him, about what his plans were, about what he was going to do, maybe hinted at an invite to kind of get the wheels turning for Peter. And before, when Jesus was first introduced to Peter, he said in John 1, 42, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And Cephas in Aramaic means rock. And I think this might have been one of the most profound things that Jesus said to Peter. So Peter's, he's a fisherman. He's on the boat. He's being just moved around by the water. And if you read through scripture and the gospels and some a, bit, a little bit in the book of Acts, like Peter's a pretty volatile guy. He puts his foot in his mouth a lot. You know, he makes mistakes. He's kind of just out there. Makes, he's really spontaneous. So, and I think, I'm sure he knew, like, his personality issues. Just like we kind of know, like, I'm a little volatile, or I'm a little angry, or I'm a little shy. Like, Peter knew who he was, and how he could kind of just get bounced around by life, or by his response to life. So Jesus calling him a rock, no doubt got his attention. So he cast out his net, and that... Even though he was tired, even though they were clean, and a miracle happens. In verse 8, it says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He saw the miracle. He saw the miracle not in just like the fish itself, but in Jesus' pursuit of him, and who Jesus was, and who Jesus was calling him to be. And he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. We presented this idea of the God pursuing us and Jesus pursuing us at the, um, in our youth group. And it was almost 50-50. This is half the kids said it was, they were gra- grateful that God pursues them, that it was cool that God just sought after them and made them feel good. And the other half said it was scary that God was pursuing them because they're not worthy. They're not qualified. They're not... They see themselves, like in, in light of Christ and perfection, like we see who we truly are. And that can be super scary. And that's where Peter is at. He's filled with shame and fear. He recognizes he's a sinner. Uh, I'm just, he calls himself probably a lowly fisherman, uneducated, angry, unstable, unworthy, and tells Jesus, depart from me. And I think in that moment when Peter's on his knees, I think Jesus is just smiling at him. Like, you have no idea. 
You know, and thank you, thank you, Jesus, for not listening to us when we tell you to go away. See, Jesus knew Peter better than he knew himself. He knew who Peter was going to become. He knew his mistakes. He knew Peter was going to put his foot in his mouth. He knew Peter was going to completely miss the point of what Jesus was trying to do and trying to teach. He knew that Peter was going to try to, or Peter cut off a, a, the servant of the priest's ear trying to defend Jesus. Like, I don't even know how you just cut off somebody's ear with a sword, like trying to do that on purpose. Like, I would not volunteer for that. There's no way. Just the angles just don't, just doesn't work out for me. You know, even after Jesus' death and Jesus brought and restored Peter to his position, uh, the Apostle Paul called Peter out for being a hypocrite concerning some stuff that was going on in the early church. But Jesus, full of grace, still pursued him. He still pursues us, even though we've made a lot of mistakes and he, already, he knows the mistakes that we're going to make. In a lot of ways, we're no different than Peter. And we tell God to go away. You know, I'm stuck in this addiction. I go to church, and on my way, I yell at my wife and kids. And then I listen to the message, and I forget what it was that when I leave, and I've got these addictions and these issues and these hang-ups. God knows. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he's still chasing you. He's still pursuing you. And Peter, he's not defined by his failures, just like we're not defined by our failures. Yeah, Peter screwed up a lot. He made a lot of mistakes. He you know, said he didn't know Jesus to save his own neck. But God's not about giving us what we deserve. And Peter, he was also the first to acknowledge Jesus as the son of the living God. The only other guy that we know of to walk on water. He got to hang out with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. It's pretty cool. Jesus used Peter to build his church. And in the end, when it was time for Peter to die of his, for his own faith, like I want to think, I'm sure he thought back on everything he did and everything Jesus did and all his interactions. And I think he thought back to this first miracle that he saw that was about him. Like Jesus is pursuing you. He's pursuing you because he loves you and because you're worth it. And I want you to accept that today. Like, really accept that. And seek him accordingly. This is where we find our peace. This is where we find our comfort. This is where we find our strength in our tough times. I think one of the best examples I can think of this is a Chinese pastor named George Chen. He was arrested by the Chinese government for preaching the kingdom of God. And he got one of the worst jobs in prison you could think of. Like he was assigned to clean cesspools. And if you don't know what a cesspool is, it's basically a pond of poop. And not a good situation. And he was assigned to clean that. And he did that for 18 years. And at first he's like, God, where are you at? I don't know what's going on. I was just preaching a word. Like, he was pretty despondent about it. He was pretty upset. And then as time went on, he started realizing that God's pursuit of him and his pursuit 
of God is so much bigger than any of any circumstance he could be in. And over time, he started just the whole time he was working for 18 years, he would sing the song in the garden. It's an old hymn. And one of the verses goes, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. And the joy, excuse me, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He saw God's pursuit and combined that with his pursuit of God and survived something terrible. And as far as I know, today he's out of prison and he's still preaching. So what do we... What do I want you guys to do about it? I got a little homework assignment. I know Ernie does that too, so I'm copying him a little bit. Sometimes it's really hard when we're in the struggle or we look back on past hurts and past pains and things where to see God pursuing us, to see God in those, in those tough moments. So what we want, I'd like you guys to do is use your phone, your computer, your tablet, and make a list of your significant life events. Number one should be your birthday. Although some of you or some of us have had things happen to us or that significantly affected us before we were even born. Um, There's somebody, a member of our church, who uh, his dad had gotten a vasectomy um, before um, he was born. And he, his mom still got pregnant with him. And he battled his whole life feeling like he wasn't planned, like he wasn't worth anything because it, it wasn't, he wasn't somebody anybody wanted. Like he shouldn't be around, he shouldn't be there. Fell, fell, fell into addiction and God rescued him. God pursued him. And this guy has profoundly affected me and my life and he's profoundly affected the lives of a lot of people I care about. So maybe you have something before your birthday to throw into this list. I've got my list right here. And I've got 36 items on it. The last one, number 36, it says today. But if you try in chronological order to write out when you're born, when you moved, all the significant things, the good, the bad, the ugly. I have plugged in here when I battled suicidal ideation you know, when my kids were born, when I met my wife, when I moved to Pine Top. And hold on to this, because when we have those dark times, I can, I can look at this and be like, oh man, this was terrible. But I can see where God was coming into that and then coming out, moving out, moving out of it. And hold on to it and review it when things aren't good. And you'll see where God intervened. We'll see where God pursued you. And I should challenge you to be like Peter and the other guys with him that day. And in verse 11, it says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your pursuit of us. Lord, it's so much greater. It's so much bigger than anything 
we could ever imagine. And we won't even know until we get to heaven to see what you have truly done for us. I pray you just help us to accept your pursuit of us and in kind pursue you. Amen.